What's up, guys? Shane Larson here, also known as the Game Time Guru. Excited to come to you at this Friday morning with another awesome interview here on the podcast. If you're listening to this on Friday morning, awesome. If you're listening to this later on, awesome. Welcome aboard. We're excited to have you guys here. Massive shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, which is the Luca Insurance Group. Make sure to give them a follow. If you guys need anything with your insurance needs, go to the Luca Insurance Group. Check them out. They're amazing, and I appreciate them for sponsoring today's podcast. I'll have the link in the description here of the podcast with some information about how you can contact them if you need any help with your insurance. Now, as far as the interview is concerned, we're talking to a former Boise State football player who is now coaching and helping athletes all around the, the Treasure Valley of Idaho. But man, we've got a story. He came from playing high school football in, in Texas. We're talking about his track experience, his football experience, some of the life lessons he's learned, the teammates he's you know been around things he's learned from them, coaches that he's learned from, including coach Chris Peterson, uh, and some of the things that he's trying to instill with the kids that he's coaching now. So it's a really, really cool interview that you're going to enjoy, uh, especially if you're a Boise State fan. You don't have to be a Boise State fan to enjoy this, but you're going to really like it if you are, because you'll remember our guest uh, once we get started here today. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Grab the popcorn, get a drink ready, uh, and enjoy the show. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time this is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. We are almost seven years into the podcast now. I started it in 2017, January. So we're coming up on that time. Not quite there, but uh, as of this particular moment at the time of this recording, we are in 180 countries, all 50 states. This show has grown immensely. It started in my kitchen in my old house when I was a college student at Boise State. And uh, now we've just, it, it, I had like 40 listeners in the first like 10 months, nobody really paid attention. And now it has expanded across the globe. And I'm grateful for that. And the reason I bring that up is not to boast and brag. It's more so to actually uh, share my appreciation for all the listeners out there who have helped get it to that point. Anybody who shared my content, who's listened to the podcast, who's left me a review, it's because of you guys that the show has continued to grow. I am continuing to try to try and grow my YouTube channel, which I never actually grew until this year. I left it dormant for about three years. So if you guys, you know, want to listen and watch the interviews on YouTube, feel free to do that as well. You can hit me with a subscribe. I only have like 380 something subscribers on the show, but you know what? I'm still trying to grow it on every platform. So as you guys heard in the introduction that we did, we're going to be talking to a, a former Boise State football player. This is the second week that we're going to talk to someone from Boise State in the in the football space. But this guy right here, man, I tell you what, I, I remember the days watching you because I was actually in school at the time. I was a a late grad. I, I graduated uh, college when I was 27, but I, um, I just remember, or I was 28, but I remember just, uh, seeing you on the field. You were always there. And it, it, it was something that was unique is our guest right here. And I'm sure he's heard this before. He stood out in the sense of his uh, stature because he wasn't the tallest guy in the world, but he was effective. And his name is Shane Williams Rhodes. And we're going to be chatting with him about his career and just talking from the football, like from the player standpoint, and now as a coach and a trainer, just kind of learning what he's doing on that side too. Shane, thanks so much for joining the show, man. No problem. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. College Absolutely. feels like it was a long, long time ago. 
it's wild how that is though, right? Because time flies when you're out of it. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, it feels sometimes it feels like that way to me too. But then I'm like looking back at your like I was going through like highlights and stuff before we recorded this, and I'm like it kind of feels like it was just yesterday, sort of too. Like there's so much that's happened since. I'm like, dang, dude. But um, let let's rewind the clock, Shane, and and talk about your career prior to Boise State and and what it was like for you growing up playing playing football um, and where you came from. So I guess let's go back to the olden days. When did you pick up a football and when did you first start getting like into the sport itself? Uh, well, my dad is a track coach. So that's, so I was started off. I was, when I turned four, my dad put me in track. So he had his own AAU track team. So I grew up running track all the way through. So that played a huge role, obviously, in being fast. But uh, we tried baseball for T-ball, I guess, for three years. And so from four to seven, I also played T-ball. I was playing baseball. Oh, I was playing running track. And I got to the point where I was hitting the ball in the infield and running all the way around. And then on obviously on defense, I was just throwing my glove up in the outfield and catching it like a punt. Pretty bored out there. So my dad said, you know what? We're going to probably let's, – uh, <laughs> let's try football out. And played when I turned seven. And from there, it just – yeah, never played baseball again. It was just – year round my dad kept me my parents would always tell me i had to do something i never could not be doing anything so the way it ended up falling was football would go august through december and then i would do indoor track for my dad's with my dad's aau team for in january and february school track starts in march then march through may i would do school track may through i made through the first week of august because the Junior Olympics usually are the first week in August. So I would go from there, and that would end on a Friday or a Saturday. And then that Monday, I would start fall camp right in August. So I would never not be in a sport. So it was basically track for seven months, football for five, all year round from seven all the way through. Wow. Okay, that's crazy. So you were always staying active, though, which is good. I wanted to ask you that. Like, I knew you were a track guy. I've heard you talk before. And I also want to, while we're talking, give a shout-out to Jay Tust. I, I, I watch you guys when you guys are chatting together on the show. I love Jay. I just want to shout out Jay. Jay was actually on my show five years ago talking to him and I just appreciate him. I've always had a mad respect for Jay. So I want to give him a shout out as well, but I've heard you talk before Shane. I knew you were, um, you know, obviously into track. I want to know for those athletes that are out there, a lot of them focus on one sport now, just because of the club aspect of things. There's a lot mm -hmm. of kids that like, well, they'll focus on one because it is kind of demanding like a year round type of deal. But as a, as a multi-sport athlete yourself, what were the benefits from track to football, football to track? Like, what, what would you um, say? Obviously, never having to go to that point where you were out of shape and then having to get back in shape because if you're always in the sport, you're always kind of at least getting in shape for that sport. So that helped then. And then obviously for me, for track, I was always just working on getting faster when I was not in football, which for me, my dad always told me, like, if, if you're not going to be tall and you're not going to be the biggest, you have to have something that separates you. So speed was the thing that we obviously fo focused on and and I, and also strength he was real big on that too so i a lot of people you p hear people say all the time but i was my wife always laughs when my my mom talks about it when i'm back home because i was that kid that every commercial my dad made me do 25 push-ups before i went to bed every night i had to run up the stairs 20 times like at home like i literally had to do that and it's just 
and so that was the kind of stuff that helped. And then as I got older, he was like, all right, you're going to run the stairs a certain way tonight. You may have to skip three stairs. So I want you exploding and doing those kind of things. And this is all in the house. And so oh, wow. my mom's a total tomboy. So she was all for it. So she just, she just let him ride it, ride it out. Yo, that's crazy. So that, that brings up a good point because I think the general public, probably when you were playing at Boise state, at least here in the Valley, I mean, we just assumed you were fast, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you're just like, Oh, He's short and fast, like he always probably has been. But no, you were putting in work from a young age. You know, mom and dad were making you do the the things to stay in shape, stay strong, and then obviously stay in shape all year round. Track, football, track, football. So yeah, you were putting in work. I I, I want people to understand that when they listen to this interview that it didn't just come naturally. You have to put in the work still um, to be at that speed. And that's obviously what you were known for was your speed. But I want to talk about your high school experience first. Where did you play high school football at, Shane? Klein Collins High School in Northern Houston. Uh, Technically, it's spring. Uh, So I grew up in Houston until I got through middle school, once I got to high school. So my last four years that I lived in Houston, I was in, I moved to spring. So my parents uh, wanted to move, get me into somewhere that would be better for me to get a scholarship. So what they did is I actually stayed in district, but they, my my parents, they kind of, they did it the right way. So what they did is they said, okay, when you used to play Little League, what teams that we always struggle against. And then, so they took that into account. Like, this is a team that you guys always kind of struggle with because the team I played on, we obviously had a ton of speed. So what we used to do is just all the kids I ran track with on my dad's football team, we just all played on our track team. We just all played on the same football team. So we were really okay. fast. So like, I was like the fourth or fifth fastest kid on my team growing up because we would just take our whole track team and we would just play football together. So we kind of always were around each other. And so my parents are like, well, you guys always struggle with this team because they had really big old linemen. And I played running back growing up my entire life. I never played receiver until I got to high school. So my mom and dad moved over to an area where they didn't have really good skill positions, but they had huge old linemen. I mean, I think my junior year, we had a lineman go to Texas, Dartmouth, uh, Air Force. Like we had huge guys. I think the smallest old lineman I had was our center. He was six two. So there was big, big guys. Uh, and so they moved me over there basically thinking like, Hey, if we go over here, we'll have a great old line and he plays running back. So this is an easier path, obviously to set him up for success. So we did that. I absolutely hated it. Uh, cause I obviously wanted to go to school where I grew up my entire life. So that was a little struggle for me, but obviously get in there. Uh, and then the school they moved me to my eighth grade year, that school is a brand new school. So, uh, the last two years, I think my seventh, eighth grade year, that school won one game, I think, on varsity. Wow. So it was like, I was like, you're taking me to a terrible school. Like, this is just, <laughs> it was, I hated it. I was pretty pissed. But uh, obviously, hindsight, looking back, they made the right decision. But yeah, they moved me. We get there. A new coach comes in my freshman year. Uh, his first year there, they go six and three. And then I was, I played on the freshman team. We win district. Uh, on the freshman team and then my sophomore year they pulled me up I played varsity my entire sophomore year we go 10 and 0 we go to the third round playoffs and then my junior year we backdoor and go 10 and 0 again and we go to second round playoffs and so I think this is the first time any school in the district went back to back 10 and 0 obviously this coach has only been there for three years he's went six and three and 10 and 0 twice and so obviously things start happening uh, I get to about my June, my junior year in December and Boise State starts, you know, throwing the offers and then Kansas State, Louisiana, Lafayette. And so all these schools are starting to come in and 
we always me and my my mom once again i gotta tell you she's the she's just the old tomboy she said she told me real early in the process that we're not i don't want you to go where they want you i want to i want you to go where they need you so it became a thing of okay i want to go somewhere that's going to offer me early i want to go somewhere who wants who's going to allow me to play early because they need me to play early versus like my dad played football at texas so i'm a longhorn fan obviously at heart i I grew up always wanting to go to Texas, but once I hit high school, I understood <laughs> I am probably not going to Texas. So it was, yeah. So that was that I got over that immediately once some offers started coming in, but yeah. So that's just kind of how it played out. And Boise State offered early. Kansas State was early. Kansas State was playing the old Darren Sproles. Basically that was their pitches. We'll use it like we use Darren Sproles. Uh, Pete, Pete was there. Obviously we loved Pete. It was it was a good it was a cool experience, but I committed really early, like junior year in April or or March. I was probably the I think I was the second kid in our class to commit, but the kid who was first ended up decommitting and going to UCLA, and so I ended up being basically yeah the first kid in our class. That committed. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you were getting those offers, and I want to know. So, what was the reason you did choose Boise? Is it because they needed you? But you said Kansas State was. You know, they were going to use Bill Snyder had just got back to Kansas State. Old, old Bill Snyder. So he just got back. Um, and and so, and Pete was there, obviously. So I looked and took an account, which is really weird because I ended up going to the second Fiesta Bowl. But I didn't go because of Boise State necessarily. It was just I lived in Texas and someone that I knew had TCU tickets. So they were like, hey, do you want to go? So me and like four friends from high school and one of the dads, drove from Texas all the way to Arizona. We went to the game, Boise State wins. So that's my experience for my freshman year. I see that. And so, or no, that's my sophomore year, actually. So I see that, I get to witness that. So then we go back home and all this starts happening and the offers start coming in. I'm like, oh, well, Boise State just won a Fiesta Bowl. And then they won the other one against Oklahoma a few years back. So it's like, they're winning. So that obviously played a huge role because Kansas State was, they both were saying, you're going to play your first year. I actually remember Robert Prince, who's now the receivers coach for the Cowboys, he said, you're going to play unless you get hurt. So like when it came to doing those things, like uh, those all-star games. So there's a big Texas versus Louisiana all-star game they do in high school. He was like, if you play in those, I'm fine with it. But if you get hurt, you're at, like, you're red shirting no matter what. He was like, so all that got seized. So I was like, I can't, it came down to both programs, obviously being who they are, but Boise State won more. And so that's why I chose Boise State. I feel you. Yeah, that's a that's actually a tough thing you have to process though as a high school athlete. Like, those aren't just like small programs. They're like K State and Boise State. I mean, that's it's mm-hmm. a pretty big deal to make a decision like that. And you're throwing out names like Robert. Prince. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan too, so I'm very aware. I have some. Yeah, I'm a Giants fan, so I'm I'm not happy. Oh, that, that's a that's a rough one. It was a rough week last week for me. <laughs> Brutal. Hey, can only go up from here. I think. <laughs> um, so, Shane, I guess when you got to – well, you know what? Before we get there, I want to ask you, playing high school football in Texas, though, that's a that's always like the – everybody knows that that's crazy, right? I hear about all the stories. What was your, your favorite memory from your high school experience playing football in Texas? Favorite memory would probably be my junior year. Uh, so I had two guys on my team who were taking official visits to Nebraska. We played on a Thursday night game, and so – me and so it was two guys going, two seniors going on their visit to Nebraska, uh, and then there was me and another friend who are juniors. He, 
we both went on our unofficial. So they took two of us took officials, two of us took unofficials. We played on Thursday night and we were going to drive to Nebraska right after the game. And so uh, that happens. But on Thursday night in the game, we're playing like a really good team. So like a powerhouse and that game, I think I touched the ball eight times. I scored six times and I had over 200 receiving yards. I had over 200 rushing yards. It was a weird deal. It was one of those games where just every time you touch it, it just, yeah, everything was clicking. So I didn't even play the second half, basically. I just played the first half, the game was over. We killed him and then we go, I get up in the morning. Well, we don't even go to sleep. We just, from there, we go from the game, we shower and we take off. We drive to Nebraska for this visit. Uh, then next day at school, oh, I wake up in the car and next morning, I'm, we're still driving. And all I keep getting is these text messages saying like, the people are like basically poking at me a little bit, you know, like saying, oh, so you're a celebrity now and I have no idea what's going on. But I guess apparently on the announcements in the morning, the principal said, it's 7.03 a.m. and Shane Rhodes is still scoring touchdowns. So this, all this happened. I wasn't even at school. And so I'm like, what's going on? But I never got, I never heard it because I wasn't there. I was on my visit. But we go on the visit. Uh, the two older kids both commit. They end up going to Nebraska. And then we end up going to New Mexico and Boise State. But yeah, that was, that whole weekend was, it was fun. That was probably, I'd say Nebraska was probably one of my best visits that I went on. What about Nebraska was cool though, to you? Because I've it been was, there. I've been there for a game. So I, obviously, I Lincoln is just like it's just like kind of how Boise. It's like that's the only thing in town. And as far as like game day experiences, it was just crazy. They, everyone in town is there. Obviously, their stadium is a lot bigger than ours, and they're throwing stuff in the air on cue. It's just a, so much stuff going. On. You got confetti everywhere. It's it was wild. It was a wild experience. And I think this is back when like Prince. I don't want to mess his last name up, but it's like Amakamara was there. So they had dude. Oh, yeah. So they it was it was an interesting time. And a Sue had just left maybe a year or two before that. And it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, dude. So the reason I even brought that up is I, I actually mentioned this about three weeks ago on my show. I was talking about Nebraska. I went there for a Buckeyes Cornhuskers game because I'm a Buckeyes fan. And I uh I went, yeah, we went to Lincoln. My wife and I flew out there just to go check it out as a bucket list. I just wanted to kind of be there. And I was blown away, man, at their fan base. The whole mm -hmm. game day experience was insane. I was just like, dude, this is great. And their fans were painfully nice. Um, it pissed me off. They were you couldn't you couldn't really chirp at them as a fan because they were too nice to you. They're like, Oh, welcome to the game. You guys are playing so great. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, I really just want to rub this in your face. But um, <laughs> They were just great. Yeah, 90,000 plus. And the majority of them actually stayed until the end of the game when Ohio State was beating the living piss out of them by like, it was like 48 to seven at one point. And they're still there. I was like, dude, this is yeah. cool, man. They're, they're a good fan base. So that's awesome, man. So Shane, as you got into college, though, I want to talk about that first. Like you, you're playing at a high level in high school. You're playing with some stellar athletes. So obviously, you know what high level football is. But when you get into college, there's always a transition phase, regardless of what level of college you go to, whether it's the academic side of things, if it's the athletic side of things. I, I like to talk to the athletes on this show. Like Tyler Crow was talking about just like how much work there is, like the schedule. You have to get the schedule down. That was something for him that he had to realize, like school, study hall, practice, school, study hall, practice. Like, I'm just curious, was there what was what was the biggest transition for you uh, getting into college? Believe it or not, it wasn't the schedule of, okay, Football just ended. Now we have workouts, you know, the off-season workouts, and you're doing this, and you're going to school football. Because, like I said, I was already used to year-round 
having a schedule like that where I went to school, when I see out of school, I got to go to track practice. When I go to track practice, I come home. And then once track season's over, you roll into the next track season because it goes from school track to AAU and then from AAU to football. And that stuff, because I was always busy and always just moving around and doing stuff like that, that wasn't the biggest shock. For me, it was the freaking playbook. <laughs> it was wild. That was the big, biggest transaction transition because uh, we, I mean, obviously you go in and it's all the shifts and motions and you come from, I come from a much, obviously much different where in my high school, we weren't doing any shifts. We were motioning, but we weren't shifting. So now you got shifts added in there. And so I remember my freshman year, uh, we opened up with Michigan state and it was just, I was struggling with this whole, they were throwing the whole thing at me because they already said like, it's not like how, if you do good in camp, like when I got there, I was like, all right, you're not redshirting. So you need another playbook. And so that was that fall camp. When I got there, that was probably one of the hardest. That was one of the hardest 28 days of my life. That fall camp. Oh, like, so why, why was it though? Like, was it so the playbook? Is it mental? So I remember I had, I had a, obviously a different girlfriend other than my wife right now, but it was like, you leave the college and my girlfriend went to Texas at the time. And so I go to Boise state, but it was just like, you wake up, you go to a meeting, you go to breakfast, you go to meetings, you go to practice. After that, you get like an hour and a half break. Some people slept, some people got treatment, some people got in the playbook. That's over, back to meetings. Boom, you had a, we had an activity, a team activity. After team activity, we go back to practice for the two-a-day. After the two-a-day, we go eat. Then we got meetings again, and it was like a 6 a.m. start, 10 a.m. finish, and lights out at 11. And like they, for the freshman, you're in this dorm, and they their bed checking and all this going on. So it's like a lot going on. So you don't really have much time to really jump into the playbook unless you choose not to go home and talk to your parents, talk to your girlfriend. So like it's some priorities are having to be picked oh, at this yeah. point. So you go from talking to people every day and every night to a point where, and people, you probably heard this before, you don't know what day of the week it is because every day is the same. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Tuesday, your schedules are the same. So it's not like on Sunday you get a, you get released early. You, that's it's it. Like you during yes. your break time, and what they used to do is because we always had like the hour and a half break or whatever, where you could go to sleep or do whatever you want to do. They put that in the morning on Sundays, just so if you want to go to church, you can go to church. But it's not going to change our day. We still got the same stuff we're doing every day. So you had the option to still do those things, but it was tied into your busy day still. So it was crazy. And so we, I think, uh, so Prince was the OC at that time and he was my receivers coach. So he was the one that told me I was in a red shirt. And, and so he, what he did is he just said, all right, what we're going to do, you don't have to know the whole playbook. You obviously need to learn it, but every week you're going to go into the game. The first game I went to, I think I had six plays and I think I touched the ball two or three times. He said, we're going to give you six plays this week. You just know those six plays. We're going to personnel it up when you're in the game, you might have a Falcon. You might have a Falcon 11, a Finns 11, a Falcon chain, a Finn chain. Like those are four different personnels. When you're in Falcon 11, you know it's the reverse. So you don't even need to know the play. When you get in, you know in that personnel with those specific people on the field, you know the play already. You don't even have to go to huddle. When you get in Falcon chain, you got two plays. So there's only two options. So you just learn your plays that way. And then first game, it was like, it had six plays. And then the next game, he gave me eight. And so that way, he grew it that way. Instead of me having to know everything, it was like, when well, we need you, we just put you in. You know, you're so by the end of the year, I probably had about 16 plays going into a game. So it was a lot easier. And so doing it that way allowed me to learn the stuff then. So then when I came back the next year, it was 
I was fine once I got to the springtime. I played a whole season just knowing what I needed to know and then being able to learn the playbook outside of that instead of having to know it all going into the game. That's uh, That helped uh, a lot, having all those personal groups. That is so cool to hear you say that because I've talked to some guys that even like ex-NFL quarterbacks like Brad Johnson and Cody Pickett, obviously local guy, and some of these guys that have talked about the playbooks, like that's a big deal. Um, so like – I'm curious if you were to tell, maybe you do this for your athletes, like if the ones that want to play at the next level, do you have like, do you have advice for them on how to actually learn the playbook? Like, is it to do exactly what you said? Like learn it little bits and pieces at a time, learn certain formations, just learn it like four at a time. And I, is there my biggest things? mistake I made when I got in was only learning my position. And oh, so okay. my biggest thing is to tell kids, learn it as a concept, not as a person. Because if you learn it as a person, you now are not a lot, able to provide help at any other position. So if you play the X and we need you at the Z and you don't know what the Z does, you only know what the X does, you're not going to play. But if you know what everyone does and you grasp every player as a concept, then now you can be moved anywhere. So my freshman year, I couldn't do that because I only knew what I had to do on my plays. But as we obviously got into it, uh, yeah, it, it changed. So I was able to move around and play outside and play inside because I knew what everyone did. And I remember my freshman year, after about week two or three, Matt Miller, who was a sophomore at the time, but he was a freshman All-American the year before I got there, he would take me out to the field, just me and him, and he would do a walkthrough with me. So Prince started doing that with me, and then it turned into me and Matt just going out. And Matt would have every play that I would be in my freshman year. He would say, all right, it's Finn's 11. It's this play, blah, blah, blah. And then you, I would get three seconds to line up, and then he would say, down, set, hut, and I have to go through my assignment, basically, so run the play as if everyone's on the field. Me. So basically, I have to process it really fast go through, and walk through it that way. And so he used to do that with me, and so from there, yeah, it, people don't understand how smart and how crazy Matt is. Matt is the guy. And that's him doing that with me as him being a true sophomore, me and being a true freshman. That's actually pretty cool. I I could I always kind of like anytime I'd hear him speak, but like I actually met Matt briefly at the athletic leadership conference in June over at Boise State, and uh, he was he's introducing Coach Pete as the keynote speaker. Anyway, he I could tell by the way he conducts himself. I'm like, yeah, that's a smart guy. There's a reason that he's in the coaching mm -hmm. sphere and knows what he's doing. But that's crazy. Uh, real quick, can you remember a play like a full play call from your freshman year that probably you wouldn't get in trouble for saying out loud right now because it's the different playbook? Jeez. No, I a full one probably <laughs> not, but they did a lot of times start just basically putting nicknames on stuff. So they'd give you like, so we played Wazoo, we'd have a a name of a play. The name of the play would be Palouse, and that would take the play being from nine words to one word, and you just knew that on that play it was a trick play. So it's a trick play. We're going against Washington State. We'll call it Palouse or trick play against Oregon State. We'll call it Beaver and stuff like that, just to condense how long the plays were. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So this is what I just, I just want people to know that athletes are not dumb jocks. They have to figure this stuff out. Yeah, There's it like is, uh, a lot of things that you have to do. My wife says that all the time. We watch hard knocks and stuff. And she's like, wait, that's a play. I'm like, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> you got to learn all this stuff. And half of it for your position might not mean anything, but it's a full play. And you got to be locked in while you're tired. And all this, the, obviously the bullets are just flying and you got to, got to be able to comprehend.
Oh, dude. Okay. So you just kind of transitioned without even realizing it to the next point of my dude. I'm so glad you said it. Cause you initially mentioned something about Michigan state and then you got to play in some big games, Shane, like during your tenure at Boise state, some pretty big ones, big, big venues, even at Boise state, you had some big games there. Um, so last night, which at the time of this recording, we're recording on a Friday at the, the basketball practice I was coaching. I was trying to tell the athletes about like, we were running a drill and the balls were flying everywhere and they were, it was starting to get chaotic. At the beginning of the drill, it was fine. Then once you start going, you get the pressure's on because you have to hit a certain amount of shots in a certain amount of time. Balls are flying everywhere. Guys are tired. So they're not actually focusing on what they mm -hmm. should be focusing on. And I was explaining to them, like, this is, that's part of the drill too. Like without you realizing that it's part of the drill, like the chaos. And you just mentioned bullets yeah. flying, right? It's like, it's the chaos. How do you like regather yourself, like regroup, I should say, and gather yourself and then like, be able to focus and execute at a high level. And it's the faster that you can, the faster you get to being able to gather yourself, the better and more effective you're going to be on the, on the court. So for you being in some of those big games, what was a time that you can, you know, maybe discuss where it felt like that? Like there was a lot going on. You have to listen to the play, the, the crowds cheer, and maybe the momentum has shifted. Um, was there an experience in college that, that you can remember that that happened and how you dealt with that? Uh, I think, the only one that can really just come to mind is San Diego State 2014. Or is that? Yeah, it's 2014. Uh, you're down 20-0. It's coldest game ever on the blue. What's it, like seven degrees? It's like eight degrees. I was yeah, there, so man. I was eight <laughs> degrees. They said with the wind chill, we're in the negatives. And we're just like, guys are arguing on the sideline. We're down 20-0. We're trying to crawl back into the game. We're going to halftime, I believe, it was 20-0. So that was probably one of those where it's like everyone's just trying to do, you know, too much, but we're not just dialed in and doing what we're supposed to do. You know, instead of doing your job, people are doing other people's jobs. And obviously we end up getting locked in. We go to halftime, we come out. I think we won the game like, I want to say 20 to 37. So somehow we scored 37 points unanswered or it's something, it's pretty close to that. But yeah, we ended up winning that game. But that was one of those games where it's just like, you got to lock in. Like it's a lot going on. We're tired. We're cold. That was the basic. We're cold. We're tired, but we just had to get locked in. It was, but what I like, what I think prepared us the most for it is like when we do mat drills and stuff like that. So in the off season, they, we do drills where they make us think in the middle of a drill. And if you do it wrong, you know, you have to redo it and you just have to keep redoing it until you get it right. And so in every, and then in those drills, you have to think it's not just like a, Oh, you're going to do this. Go ahead. And then, you know, at the beginning of the drill, each group that goes, it's going to be different for us. So you have to pay attention. So doing those things allows you to now cognitively think and you're obviously tired because you're going back to back to back and just repping it and repping it. It basically basically gets your mind into condition of, all right, we got to be able to think while we're tired. And so I like it when I work with obviously the kids now at the high school, I coach at, I try to incorporate that kind of stuff and, you can see it. Some guys, when they get tired, they're just, they're out. And yeah. it transitions on the field. Like some of the same guys, when it's now third and fourth quarter, they now are just not going to the right spots because they're tired. And so, or they're not even looking over to the sideline and getting calls because they're tired and they're too busy focusing on the next thing. And they're not even getting the call. So now you don't know where you're supposed to go because you don't even know the play. So those kind of things. So training, I think training and, you know, basically getting your mind in shape to do those things. That's the best thing you can do with them. That's huge. I hope that those who are listening to this, and I should have said this at the beginning, always take notes. If you're listening to this on your iPhone, for example, you're listening to it on the podcast app, pull out your notepad, take notes of what Shane just said there. That's huge. Like you don't even realize it, 
But that's stuff that literally happens all the time, especially at younger ages, but even in the collegiate realm, like when people get tired, they stop thinking. And if you can prepare yourself in a, ahead of time, which sounds like your coaching staff did when you were in college, that's huge. That is so important. And you might think that the drill is stupid until you actually realize when you're playing an opponent who might not have been training that way, you're like, oh, we have the advantage here because they're really like slacking. I noticed that a lot in boxing when I was fighting for golden gloves. Like there's a lot of guys that like, they stick to their training for the first round. And then as soon as they get past round one, yep. they start to, you start to see that they're not listening to their coach anymore. They're getting sloppy. And that's when they tend to start getting clipped a little bit, you know? And so it's the same thing in every sport. I, I appreciate you sharing that Shane. Um, That's super, super cool. And that game was cold as balls, man. We were sitting in the <laughs> so South cold. end zone, like dude. And we stayed the whole time. It was like an eight o'clock kickoff too. It was one of those yep. late kickoffs. So it was just like, dude, it was miserable. And then you guys came back and, and put it to them. What was your favorite game uh, that you played in? Was it a championship game? What was your favorite game that you played in as a Bronco? Oh, man. I'll say favorite game. I have two. Also, favorite game that I probably didn't play a ton my freshman year. Uh, I played, but obviously not a ton. Probably had one or two catches. But the 6-7 game on the blue with BYU was probably one of my favorite games. We didn't score an offense. We scored on a pick six with a D lineman. Yeah, uh, Taysom Hill comes in like the second half and plays for BYU. They score, but they missed their two-point conversion to win. It was the loudest game I've ever been a part of. I've never heard the stadium get that loud, as loud as it was on that two-point conversion when we we're that when we're up seven-six and if they get it, they win. That was the loudest. So that experience right there, like I remember, because we they ended up having to call a timeout because it was so loud. But I remember feeling like the ground was shaking, and I was talking to someone because we were on defense, I was talking to someone and they couldn't hear me right next to me on the field. And so it was just, it was pretty crazy. That game was sick. I also like it. So I used to have season tickets back then. Um, even when I was a student, I had season tickets instead. So I was in the South end zone, right where the two point conversion was happening. And I was there where like he threw the ball. Like I actually thought he had a guy open and he just overthrew him. And yeah, I remember Taysom coming in there a big, you know, Riley, Riley Nelson, I believe was the, the quarterback that started that he was a left-hander and he was struggling, but that, that pick six, what was his name? The D line of the Mike Atkinson from Canada. Yeah. The Canadian bacon is what they yep. were saying. And he picks it, runs it back. So yeah, sick. man, that was, it was crazy. It was a crazy. And I think game. it was a Thursday night game too. It was a Thursday night game. Cause I had to work in the morning on Friday. It was mm -hmm. wild, but yeah, that's super cool, man. Cool stories. So looking at your college days, you've played with and, for some great people you've mentioned some of your coaches and stuff so i just want to know shane what who was like an influential teammate who was your most influential teammate that you had you mentioned matt already um but what did that teammate do for you and who's your most influential coach and what did you learn from them as well i'll go coach first obviously it's hard to top you know what who i consider you know obviously he's not nick saban but god coach pete man it's it's i mean you you say his name and you never hear anyone say anything negative Everyone always has just a, such a positive experience with him. It's it's hard, man. It's he him coming in. I think having him my first two years allowed me to get through a lot of things on the back half of my career because what he was teaching us, you know, being a good person on and off the field. Obviously, you know, it's a it's more about life. It's the game is teaching you more about life, and I love Coach Pete, man, and everything he preached. I've seen him send guys who were end up being first and second round draft picks home from bowl games like it was just it wasn't you know if you're this you get a little leeway it was these are the rules 
we're going to follow them. We're going to do the right thing. And if you don't follow them, it's consequences. I've seen guys have, be from Florida and get in trouble on a Thursday. They got class checked and they weren't in class. So when their family got there on Friday to watch them play on Saturday, they're in what we used to call CT commitment time. So it was like a study hall after the game. So you're in a study hall from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So there's no way you can go out. And basically, there's no way you can spend time with your family while they're in town because you chose not to go to class. So those kind of things, just those kind of things, ha having that my, my earlier in my career was great because I got to see guys mess up and learn from their mistakes and those kind of things. Because if it had been vice versa and my first years were with Harson, I don't know if that would have been the direction that we would have been going in. So it was I definitely would say Coach Pete's most influential. That is so cool. I will say, I listened to Coach Pete at the Athletic Leadership Conference, and that's the first time I've ever had to, had him in front of me to speak, and I was blown away. I took so – like, I have a whole book of notes from just the hour that he was talking, so I can imagine playing for him would be incredible. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure that's hard having a coaching switch in the middle of your tenure there, too. It's like – yeah, It's a little different. It's different culture. It's different everything. But Everything's um, comparable. Everything. You just compare everything that happens tough it's a tough situation yeah. i mean i'm sure there's some good things too good and bad but um yeah that's tough what about a teammate who's a teammate that stands out to you Shane, that, and what'd you learn from them teammate uh geez man that's a it's a good one i probably go darian thompson teammate uh he's a guy when i got there he was a redshirt freshman so we ended up being in the same class because he redshirted his first year he was a year in front of me but he's just a guy who always did the right thing as far as being on the field. He led by example. He's not a vocal leader. He ended up going second round to the Giants. And he actually is the reason why I'm such a huge Giants fan. So I didn't have a team. And so when he got drafted, I said, you know what? I'm going to just roll with the Giants. And now he coaches for the Cowboys. He played for the Cowboys. But, you know, I stuck it out. Still a Giants fan. But, yeah, he he's just one of those guys, man. I saw him go through. He was obviously at Boise State when we had a lot of good dudes. You know, your Georgia Locas, that's his freshman year. Um, and then he backdoor, he just keep having dudes. He had Jeremy Awani in front of him and he just waited his turn. And when it came when it came to Russian, he I think he's the Mountain West all-time leader in reset and interceptions. Like he's just a dude and he's a great person and great father. He's a really, really close friend now to me and my wife and his wife is it's a awesome thing. I wanna say that. Me and him had been basically back to back on everything we've done in life, except having kids. I cannot keep up with that guy. <laughs> He's rolling. I believe we got engaged within a week of each other. We've gotten married within a week of each other. Uh, yeah, we've basically done everything together. It seems like uh, awesome. Yeah, we. Uh, and then I think he might be going on a. He's he's got a good old starting five over there. So he's he's actually going to have a baby. I think number five in. Want to say. January and February, we'll have number two. So uh, I'm not going to try to catch up. I promise you that. But that's that's probably one of the most influential persons I think that I play with. That's so cool. I actually tried to get him on the show about five years ago when I first was like kind of, I was about a year and a half into this just because he, he was at the Giants. He was with the Giants still, but he's a, I always looked up to him as a player, but to hear you talk about him from a personal standpoint and understanding what it was like. You know, I was just a fan, uh, but he, you know, someone like yourself actually speaks to his character. That's awesome, man. That's super, super cool. Hey, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be able to get him on. But now he's with the Cowboys organization. That's my squad, baby. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so, Shane, as, as you transitioned from college to the next step of life, 
uh, I am curious, like, what were your goals? Did you have aspirations to like play at the next level? And like, and if not, like what did, did, how, what was the transition like out of college to the next step of life for you? Um, so I did, I had aspirations, obviously I did it. I went and played a year in CFL, but where things got tough is while training for pro day, I think pro day was in April in last week of February, I pulled my hamstring. <sighs> So I used the last six weeks before pro day rehabbing instead of training. And so get to pro day and everything I wanted to do, I missed by literally one, like 0.1, one, however it be one inch. Like I wanted to run a four, three, nine. So I want to break four, four. I ran a four, four, zero. I wanted to jump 10 feet in the broad jump. I jumped nine, 11. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to jump 40 inch vertical. I jumped 38 and a half. So everything was just right under where I where it wanted to be. So that kind of sucked, obviously. So then I signed with Canada, and in Canada you start in like May. So I was already I was in Toronto going. I was there for about a month and a half, and then boom, pull the hammy again. So same hammy, and it's just like it's one of those muscle things. And still to this day, I have a problem with my hammy. If I run in a, like a straight line really fast for about 30, 40 yards, I can typically start feeling it pull a little bit. So yeah, that was the thing. I was like, and I I was just at the point where I was like, I'm not. I got, I was like, I got to go find a job, you know, it's time to go work. So yeah. I trend, I, I probably had about two days where I was in Canada and I was like, all right, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay? Am I going to, you know, keep trying? I was like, screw it. I'll go get a job. So I had my two days of soaking. I know a lot of people go through a tough time in that transition, trying to figure out if they should still play and keep trying. But I was like on to the next thing. So I went back to school, finished my degree, which I had a, I think I had a semester still. So I went back, did that, got a job. And from there, just got it rolling. It was an interesting phase. I think my parents, because of how fast I went through that transition, they were a little like, are you sure? Like, you sure, you know, you've been a long time. I've been doing this. You're just done. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. So. Did you still have love for the game or were you kind of at a point? I don't know how the last part of your college career, but I've talked to athletes before where they kind of like, just feel like, okay, well, I'm happy with what I've done. I'm content with what I've uh, I think towards the end of being at BSU, it was kind of like, all right, man, some things aren't the same. Because obviously earlier in my career, I was more involved in the offense. It was it yeah. was more of obviously and, and it just kind of fizzled out with the new staff and, you know, people leaving. And just it was if things were getting things were getting a little rough there. So I think once all that stuff started happening, I was just I, I think psychologically I was just out of it. I was just like, yeah, let's just yeah. let's move on. Let's. Let's get, let's start adulting. <laughs> yeah, start adulting. I got you, brother. Yeah. I got you. Hey, so the coaching aspect, now you're coaching, uh, not only just training, but you're coaching at the high school level. And I wanted to ask you that, Shane, as, as a, as a coach myself, but just club basketball, but it's a, it's a different capacity of coaching, but I've learned a lot in the last three years of coaching compared to when I was playing. It's, there's a little bit of a different skill set that's required, but I'm, I'm curious to ask, you know, I want to know how your coaching experience is going and what you have found to be like the best part of it. Um, obviously the, the rewarding part is obviously when, when things click to the kids and you can see it yeah. on their faces cause they look confused a lot of the time, but uh, just I've, what I've learned is you've, you, I think I said this, I, on, me and Jay talked about it on the podcast this week, but uh like I, I heard this a long time ago and it just always sticks with me. And it's it's Peyton Manning, actually. He says, 
teach me like I'm a third grader. And he says this to Tony Dungy, you know, in the league, you know, I want you to break everything down in simplest terms so that you don't assume I know something that I don't know. So my first year coaching uh, at, at the actual high school level, uh, I feel like we did, we weren't, we didn't break it down in simplest terms. And so we assume yeah. kids know things that kids don't know. So now you're telling kids to do something and they have no idea what that is. So they're just going to run to a spot. So now obviously being in year three, it's like, okay, I have to explain to them. I want you to be here in the flats. You just tell them to go to the flats and then sink. But if I don't know what the flats is, I can't get to the flats. Right. So saying yeah. like, this is where the flats is. This is what it is. And I want you to go to the flats and I want you to sink. This is what sinking is and doing those kind of things. Uh, just being more detailed and, that goes back to the Pete days because they were huge on details. Like his, Coach Pete's thing wasn't, do you know what route you have on this play? Because you obviously should know what route you have. You got to catch the ball. It was, do you know your alignment? I want you two yards outside the hash on this play. And then on this play, I want you four yards outside the hash because that space is going to create this window and make it bigger. I want you minus two of the hash plus two. Minus numbers, uh, top of numbers, bottom numbers, all those. So those kind of details is just alignment wise. We can go out there running the same play, but if we're not aligned correctly, if we're two feet further out, that's a farther ball for the quarterback. So those kind of things and being detailed, I think that has been the biggest thing with coaching. Oh, that, that is cool, man. So you're taking stuff from the, that you've learned from your coaches, putting it over there. And I will say, you know, Coach Pete, I, that's one of the things he talked about. It's cool to hear a player who actually experienced that firsthand like this, the details. He did talk about that from an athletic leadership standpoint. And I was just like, man, it's crazy. The little things that he talked about compounded interest when you do mm -hmm. the right things over a period of time, the compound interest of that as compared to doing it just a little bit off over a period of time can cause a, a huge problem. So that's awesome, man. So Shane, talk to us about uh, the the training academy and everything in the, on that side of things with rare or whatever else you guys are doing. I want to know more about that side of your training? Uh, so training wise, it's obviously position specific. So everyone trains who trains. It's a lot of us that do it. Uh, you know, we got Armand Nance, we got Kyle Cron, you have Joel, you have Just, you have Tamir Hill. So everyone who plays at specific positions. So like me, obviously I don't need to be out there training O-linemen. I don't have that experience. I don't have that knowledge. So, you know, we have O-line guys who do that. And so it's just basically a way for kids to work on their game, you know, obviously in an O-line, D-line, it's kind of hard to just work on O-line, D-line training with your parents probably at home. It's not really something that would be a little easy to teach, you know? So yeah, yeah. it's a way they can go out, they're getting work. And the good thing is like, I know like Armand, he played D-line at Boise State. So when he trains the D-lineman, typically he'll go and give them a look at O-line so they can see how to look in a game setting because Obviously, he'll probably be the best O-line they place all, all year. So just being able to teach them those things and getting really deep into the details on how to do certain things, because as a high school coach, you aren't able to teach that detailed as far as like you can tell a kid, all right, you're playing D and your job is to hold the edge and you can do individual drills, but you can't break down the individual drills to another T and get real detailed on how you can do breaking, getting holding that edge even better. And, you know, different ways to do it. And so that's where the training comes in is diving deep into it. So for me, it's, we're working on releases. We're working on routes. We're working on, we're working on obviously hand-eye coordination, but then people think it's just, oh, you're running a route. If you're running a 
comeback route, right? You're just teaching them how to run a route. Well, running a comeback route out of man is different than running a comeback route out of cover three. So, like, you're learning how to run routes out of different coverages, learning how to read coverages. All those kind of things are going into it. And so that's what I kind of like. And I don't think it clicks to the kids until they come out and they're like, oh, that makes sense. If he's in cover three, he's going to keep outside leverage. So I got to attack more outside because if I let him have outside leverage and I have the breakout, he has a clear path to the ball or a clear path to meet me at the ball. So just those kind of things, getting real detailed and teaching the kids that side of the game. So now they have it as far as what we call it, FBI, so the football intelligence. So learning those kind of things through the training. So if a, if an athlete, like, are you guys taking more clients right now? Like as far as like athletes coming into your, your training program or no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of us don't train during season though. So my thing is right, right. I, I only train November through July. So I don't want to see you during the, during the season. I want you to focus on your team and just, your team, your scheme and just go ball out. Once the season's over, let's get back in the lab. We'll go until from November. I go, we're out in the cold. I'm outside every week. We're out there training from November all the way to July. Let's go. So how can they, I just want you to be able to share it with the, the listeners here. How can they get a hold of you guys for those who may be interested in, in utilizing those services? Feel free to reach out at Rare Academy Idaho or feel free to DM me either way. We'll get you in touch with the right people. Sweet. So I'm going to put your guys' social accounts here on the description as well so that people can find you. I'd encourage that. Like the, the, those who listen know I'm pretty involved in the high school athletic space. And even here in Idaho, like I know we got listeners all around the world, but in Idaho in the Treasure Valley area, like I got a lot of people who are listening. Maybe you haven't, maybe you might not have known about what they're doing. I'm not sure how you wouldn't, but if you haven't, <laughs> then uh, hit them up. I'll put that here in the description. So last question I got for you, Shane, as we wrap things up, man, I, I've learned a ton from your interview, by the way. It's super cool. Is, uh, What's the biggest life lesson that uh, football has taught you in all the years that you've been competing since the time you were like seven years old all the way through? Man, the biggest lesson? So many. Uh, I think, well, there's a few, obviously. I First one I would say is the communication aspect. Like you hear a lot playing basketball and playing football that if kids communicate, then the people who don't know what's going on now know what's going on, right? So it helps us, the people next to us. Obviously, in a marriage, communication helps things. If you're communicating and this person knows what's going on, you're not assuming things are happening that aren't supposed to happen or are supposed to happen. So the communication side of things, which we drill to these kids all the time to communicate, be loud, obviously, right? Uh, have conviction in that communication, like, you know, so that. And then the other one is just, I say, doing the little things right make the doing the big things easy that's my other thing i appreciate that again if you guys are listening to this make sure you're taking notes rewind that and listen to what he just said again super super cool shan i appreciate you man i uh i know it's been a long time coming i just i had to hit you up this week and you were willing to jump on really quick with me and and get this interview done and i'm super grateful for it because people will listen to this at the time that it launches and months and months later they'll they'll come through They'll find it, they'll listen, and uh, it's going to be impactful for a lot of people. So for all those who are out there, I appreciate you guys tuning in. We appreciate Shane tuning in. And just as a reminder, hit that subscribe button so you guys can listen to the interviews coming forward because uh, you know we'll be coming to you next week with another one. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.